This is the Social Pros Podcast, the weekly show for real people doing real work in social media. With your host, Jay Bear of Convince and Convert, and featuring Jeff Roars, Nick Cicero from Expian, and great guests from the world of social media and content marketing. Social Pros is sponsored by Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, Expian, Janray, powering personalized marketing with customer profile management, and Cision. Ready to learn from the pros? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros. As the announcer just told you, it is the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined today by Nick Cicero from Xbeyond and Jeffrey K. Roars from Exact Target. Nick, how are you today? I am doing very well. How are you doing, Jay? I am hanging in there. Uh, I had a big birthday party at our house last night for uh, my son and a whole posse of uh, 13 and 14-year-old boys. Uh, I have not been downstairs yet, but the rest of the structure still stands. So I think we have accomplished uh, our objectives, which is to get out alive. And Mr. Roars, what is new in your world? Just enjoying some uh, some time off the road before uh, get back out there and enjoy uh, all of America's airports. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, you can see the season coming. I was just talking to my wife yesterday and looking at some calendar forecasting. I think I'm home five days in September total, uh, which is uh, I think a new record for me. Have you have you noticed a uh, disproportionate number of uh, cancellations? Over the last uh, few months, for events, um, I don't know about no, no, for like yeah for flights. Oh, for flights, yeah, um, yeah, I have actually, um, and I think part of it. Uh, and I was talking to a buddy of mine who is a pilot uh, for a major United States airline, uh, and he was saying, you know, they changed the the pilot rules um, not too long ago about uh, how long they can be in the cockpit and rest rules and things like that. And what he was telling me is that when you get um, weather delays or really any sort of delay, sometimes it runs off the clock on the pilots now, and then they don't have a backup pilot or they can't get one there. And they're like, well, all we can do is cancel. And he said, that's definitely part of it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it'll, I'm, I'm a little bit scared going back out there because yeah. uh, I started to hit some of that in June. It just happened to me a couple nights ago. I was uh, uh, I was coming back from uh, Philadelphia and had a storm that delayed us a couple hours. And by the time they said, okay, the storm's passed, pilots were out of the clock, like, sorry, flight's canceled. You got to stay overnight. And I'm like, what, what? So uh, yeah. as I mentioned on my J Today podcast, it allowed me somewhat unexpectedly to spend a night uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, and I had never before been to the great state of Delaware. So, uh, it crossed one off my list. So I'm now at 47, uh, thanks to that flight cancellation. Well, I think we'll have to reserve a, a future social pros podcast for nothing, but, uh, nothing but travel related conversation in light of some of the, uh, the travel tweets and things that have hit the yeah. press of late. Yeah, we're going to have, uh, I think we're going to get Lori Meacham from uh, JetBlue on the show uh, here okay. relatively soon. She was uh, at the Social Fest conference that Nick and I were at. She was terrific, uh, gave a great presentation. So we'll get her on the show and put her to the test uh, about all things travel. But today, we are going to talk to Ryan Dodge, who is the head of social media for the Royal Ontario Museum uh, in Toronto. They are doing some fantastic stuff up there. Ryan is a real leader in the field of museum-oriented social media. We're so glad to have him on the show. Ryan how are you? 
I'm very good. Thanks for uh, having me on the show, Jay. I really appreciate it. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you for taking the time, Ryan. Why don't you maybe start off by letting people know who aren't familiar, haven't been there, uh, what the Royal Ontario Museum is uh, and, and kind of what you do up there? Sure. Um, yeah, so the Royal Ontario Museum is in Toronto. We have... Uh, uh, our director calls it an encyclopedic museum, so we have uh, natural history and world cultures. Um, I, when I describe it, I usually say we're the Smithsonian in one building. So the Smithsonian has all different types of museum, bricks and mortar locations that have different uh, different focus. We have all that stuff in, in one bricks and mortar location. So if you come to the museum, you'll see dinosaurs, you'll see mummies, um, you'll see some great uh, cultural uh, material culture collections from around the world. And you also see some Canadian history. So we, we have a little bit of everything. And as you said, um, I, I'm, my responsibility is social media at the ROM. So um, I, I, I basically organize all of the activity on social um, across the institution. I work across departments. There's three main aspects of my job. Um, uh, the first being uh, training. I do a lot of uh, coaching and training and run workshops for staff and we really encourage social media activity on a personal but also professional level across the institution which is really great to have it's nice to have a really engaged staff on on social and, and can help build the awareness about what the rom is doing um, i also of course do the monitoring and the posting of content on our on our accounts and then the third aspect is really the experimentation and keeping up with the social world which is really difficult but um, a lot of fun at the same time when you talk about training staff and then blending the personal and the professional, uh, how does that work in practice? Or are they using their own Facebook page to uh, talk about the museum and or are they writing blog posts or, or posting things on your Facebook page? So what is the, what is the execution uh, of their social media participation once you've trained them? Um, yeah, it, it varies. Um, we, we tend to focus mainly on on Twitter. Um, uh, we we basically we we train people on Twitter first. Um, most staff have have their own Facebook page already, so they're already comfort comfortable with that. Um, but we've found that um, Twitter has been a really effective communicator for for the entire museum. So we we tend to train people a lot on on Twitter and, like you said, writing blog posts. And and we use our website as as sort of the hub of all of our activity and everything we do. If we're going to do long-form content, we post it on the blog, and then we use Twitter to sort of spread that for us, and also our Facebook page. So um, we've we've given we've I've written out basically we have a nine-page document that's sort of our overall guidelines um, on how to be effective and efficient communicators on social, but also the sort of do's and don'ts. You know, we're we're a public agency. We're we're funded by the province of Ontario, so you know we can't really talk about politics on our on our personal accounts because even though it's a personal account, you're still a representative of the museum. So just things like that, making people aware of of the ins and outs of of you know the blurred lines between between personal and professional social media accounts, um, you know that sort of thing. Those and we usually run workshops where we do you know, 20 to 30 minutes, you know, on topic, and then we'll, we'll have 30 minutes for questions or, or longer. We'll go on until, you know, there's no more questions in the room. And really it's just about providing people with the tools that they need to be really good communicators on social, really effective and efficient. Um, 
and and you know the the content we do our our social media content is is really aligned with our marketing and communications um, uh, what they're doing their strategy but we do have a little bit of wiggle room in social where if if there's you know a story that's in the news that relates to our collection in some way or you know there's a researcher that's going to announce a new dinosaur that they've that they found or something like that we can we can usually jump on that um, on a day to day basis but normally. Um, you know, everything's sort of mapped out a, a, a few weeks or a month ahead of time. And what do you look at as as the metrics that really matter in your organization? So when you're putting together reporting and say, yes, this is working, we should put more dollars against, although I know you don't have a, a massive uh, social media budget that you're doing a lot of this um, uh, kind of bootstrap, which is amazing. Um, but, but what kind of measures do you look at and say, yeah, this is having a, an impact? Um, yeah, this has been, um, I've been in this role for two years and for about two years before that there was a group of us that were working on this and we really, um, it was really difficult at, at uh, the outset of, of working with social but we really um, argued for, you know, um, the, the, the return on investment is, you know, building connections with our community and, and having conversations with our community um, and we really feel that if we do that first, that people will eventually visit us or buy a membership or you know take part in one of our paid programs or something like that. So our objectives for social are, are like I said, building connections with our community by fostering direct, timely, and responsive dialogue, and really just enhancing the museum's public profile by increasing awareness and understanding of what we actually do in the museum. Um, you know, we have researchers in in over 30 countries around the world, um, usually on a on a yearly basis. You know, and and a lot of people don't know that we're, we're creating new knowledge. Um, so, you know, we, we try to get that, increase awareness about that. And so far, um, our, our senior management team has, has said that, that those are good goals to, to strive for. Um, you know, I don't, they don't ask me for, you know, you sent out 300 tweets last month. You know, how many people actually came came through the door as a result of that. So when I when I do reporting, it's it's really that awareness-based stuff. So the amount of retweets, the amount of replies, the amount of conversations that are created from from the content that we're sharing, um, you know, obviously shares on Facebook and and comments and things like that. So that's what that's what we value. It's that real um, engagement piece that that we're looking for. Ryan, this is Jeff. Um, I'm interested as you look across the different. Uh, media, the different channels that you use for that engagement, um, which ones you you feel are most productive in terms of actually bringing in folks through the doors, and which ones may be more useful for you from an ampl amplification and awareness standpoint. So if, if you want to bring bodies in the door, which channel do you go to first and second? Yeah, we... Um uh, probably about six months ago, maybe you know, eight eight to six months ago, we we really decided to focus on Twitter um, heavily. I found that it was taking up most of my time, but I was also getting more conversations and more you know more activity on on Twitter than on our Facebook page. Um, we have our largest demographic on our Facebook page is is sort of the mom group, the you know the the twenty five to thirty four female group, and and so we tend to post. We tend to cater to that group more, and on Twitter we get a more diverse, um, more diverse group and, and more diverse conversations from that. We also um, one of the examples I use quite a bit is we have uh, a Friday Night Live event where we basically turn the museum into a club. 
we have DJs, we have food, um, you know, we also have museum programming going on, but it's really catered to that, you know, the Twitter, the social media savvy group, the, the, and the legal drinking age in Canada is 19, so it's that 19 to sort of 34 group that we're looking to, to, to attract. And about 95% of the, the marketing communications for this event is done through social media. And we run the event uh, two seasons per year, eight weeks per season, so 16 times out of the year. And it's all done through Twitter. And we and our average attendance is around, you know, 3,200, 3,400 per Friday night. So. I, I know that people are listening. I know that people are, are, are paying attention to us on Twitter because they're actually coming out to this event. Um, you know, it does help that we've, we've built this event for them, but um, it's an example that I use, you know, and, and we, we don't spend any money really on, on Twitter. We've run two Twitter ads um, so far, um, you know, so we, we know that people are engaging with us and are, and are listening and, and are showing up to the door. And how does how does email fit into the equation for you guys? Um, we do do a whole host of, of email newsletters for for different groups. Um, for our members, they get a special one, um, and then we do sort of a, a, a larger um, overarching email new, newsletter. Um, it's sort of it's it's integrated with everything. Um, there's links back to some some if we're doing social events, they 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 make it into the e news. Um, so, it, you know, it is, is one aspect, but we're definitely looking at revamping how we do email. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but there was just uh, recently um, Canadian anti-spam legislation was, was, uh, came into effect on July 1st. So we've had to sort of send, send out a consent document, which uh, is a consent email, and uh, we've lost a lot of our email subscribers. So we're, we're looking at revamping the way we do communications through email. and, and I'm not sure how that's going to fit um, going forward. We're just talking about that right now. So, um, but you know, the, I, I feel like um, you know, social won't replace uh, what we do with our e-news, but it definitely um, we definitely could do more um, on social. So here, here's an interesting question. Your you your industry is interesting in that you are uh, in competition uh, for really. Uh, entertainment dollars and entertainment time. Um, you're in competition theoretically. I put that in quotation marks with other museums, but there's also great opportunities for collaboration there because you're all similarly situated uh, right. and can be very complementary. So, has that spilled over into what you're doing in social media, where um, you might work with another museum or another nonprofit? Um, so that you can um, essentially stand on each other's shoulders, if you will, reach their audience and 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 they reach yours. Um, are there any examples where you've done that successfully? Yeah, we um, we I I love doing this with other museums. I love chatting um, with other museums on social between our our official accounts. Um, I'm good friends with my counterpart at the Art Gallery of Ontario, which is the big art gallery in Toronto. And and every now and again, we'll chat with our with our handles back and forth. You know. Um, we had a big snowstorm uh, last last winter, so I got a picture of our facilities people shoveling out the front door and just said something funny and, and asked if you know they would they would tell us how it looks down at their end of the city and and they replied back and people loved it. They thought it was great that we were talking to each other because we we do seem like we're in competition um, for 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 visitors, but 
Um, we also, um, my friend Lori Phillips, who is my counterpart at the Children's Museum of, of Indianapolis, we started a Facebook group um, for, for museum social media managers uh, internationally. And we have about, we have a little over 300 members so far um, from all over the world, six continents, which is just amazing. And we do, um, we sort of behind the scenes coordinate, uh, you know, international tweet ups or, or things of that nature. So. Um, we do, um, you know, if we have something coming up, we'll we'll let everyone know, and, and if they could jump on and help us, um, you know, increase our reach. Uh, March nineteenth was our uh, 100th birthday at the ROM, and and you know, about a month ahead of time, I let everyone know what the hashtag was and and what we were going to be tweeting and when we were going to start and things like that, and asked if they could give us a little little birthday shout out, and, and everyone did, and it was fantastic to see those messages from all over the world. Um, you know, and it's it's. It's not. It's also nice to know that you're not alone. Um, that that there's other people that are struggling with the same issues, the same questions. Um, you know, having the same battles with with um, their bosses and senior management about getting more resources for social and museums. Um, you know, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I don't have a budget for social. So everything that I do, um, you know, I tr I try to do as free as possible. And if I need something paid, then I have to beg. You know, I have to negotiate some funds from someone's budget to help me out. So, you know, it's 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 not like the corporate world where there's where there's you know some money for social. We have to really, you know, do a lot of negotiating, a lot of work around to to get um, to get stuff done. Hey Ryan, you guys at the Royal Ontario Museum have quite a few Twitter handles. Mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about maybe the strategy behind that and how do you manage all of those? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, this uh, this stems from sort of an overall strategic direction that we're heading. Um, our new director and CEO, Janet Carding, who's also on Twitter, if you want to follow her, she's just at Janet Carding. Um, she she wanted to make the museum more public facing, and so social is is a long term strategic objective of ours. You know, we're looking at this as a marathon, not a sprint. We're looking at how we're going to communicate with people long-term and social is definitely a part of that but she also wanted to make our collections of research more digestible for the general public so when a lot of people come to the museum they're they're lost physically but they're also lost mentally they just don't know where to go there's just so much stuff to take in so she organized us around um, what what we're calling eight, the centers of discovery and there's eight of them and before I came in this role full-time, a couple of these centers, before they were existing, had started up Twitter handles. So our ROM Biodiversity um, staff had started a Twitter handle, and our ROM Paleo, um, our paleontologist, had started a Twitter handle. And they had some really good conversations going on. They had some really good um, activity on their handles. And I thought, you know, if we're heading in this direction, if these eight centers are supposed to be access points for, for the public, you know why? Why not give them all a presence on social so that people, if they want to, they can drill down deeper into our content and you know interact with with the areas of the museum that they want, not just you know the overarching Rom Toronto Twitter handle. You know they can actually interact with people that are doing the work that they're interested in. So if I'm interested in ancient cultures, but I'm not interested in textiles and fashion, I'm going to follow the Rom Ancient handle instead of the Rom Textiles handle, and then I can you know, have access to that that information that I want. Instead of trying to sift through everything from around Toronto, I can I can drill right down. Um, 
it this only works um, if you do that training if you do that training ahead of time and and we've sort of laid the groundwork with making sure that all our staff are comfortable on on these uh, on these platforms where it's easy for me to you know I can monitor everyone's activity and see who's doing a good job and then I can go to them and sit down and have a coffee and say you know you're doing really well with your personal hand you're sharing lots of great content from behind the scenes in the museum do you want to take it another step further and usually people are okay with it they're excited about tweeting from an official museum handle um, or sharing content for for the museum um, from an official page or something like that so um, we're, we're I'm, I'm undecided if we're going to do uh, specific pages for the centers on Facebook I don't think that we need to do that um, but I think it, it makes sense for Twitter and and we've only done it since the first of May so the you know um, the, the great thing about social is if you you know if you make a mistake if you fail you learn from your mistakes and you try something new um, so you know I'm, I'm not I'm not sure if, if this is gonna work in this in this way but um, we're gonna try it for for a few months more here and see how it's going and um, you know we'll, we'll update you on the process but it's been it's been lots of fun and and you know I just it's I, I manage a couple of the accounts but I have staff throughout the institution that manage um, the other accounts so it's a team effort. So do you guys meet up? Do you have like weekly meetings internally or just kind of internal collaboration? How do you guys kind of communicate uh, among your different teams? Yeah, um, I uh, we have a monthly meeting where we do the, the training and then sort of a larger discussion. But um, I usually check in with people uh, once a week and just if there's anything pressing that needs to go out that week, I let them know about it. Um, but other than that, um, uh, I trust them. I, I've given them the training. I've watched them, you know, grow their personal accounts and and get better at communicating. And and I just once I go to them and say, "Are you interested in doing this account?" Um, you know, they're they're a little scared at first, but it's really about giving them the tools and giving them the confidence to to do this. And 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 once I say, "Okay, you're good. Um, here's your here's your official handle," you know. Remember your guidelines. Remember your training, and, and I trust you to to build your audience. and And at the end of the day, they're the experts in their area, so they know the content better than I do. Um, but I'm just I'm just giving them the tools to to share that content on a different platform. Yeah, I think that's definitely awesome. One thing that I was hoping to maybe get some insight in is uh, switching gears a little bit. You guys recently put together, and, and I think you're going to be hosting it soon, uh, a really unique developer partnership with kind of interactive uh, and game developers to bring them inside the museum. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how you're going to connecting that those different types of communities to uh, to your museum? Yeah, um, yeah, the game jam. Um, we uh, last August we had our first game jam and it was sort of like a it was a pilot program and we weren't really sure how it was going to work but we were approached by uh, a group at the University of Toronto who are who are just uh, computer science students and they have this this sort of um, game developer extracurricular group that they they're a part of and they they love the museum they always come here and a lot of them are artists as well so they come here and draw and get get inspiration for their games and. And you know they just kind of said, wouldn't it be great if the ROM had a game jam? And we said, yeah, it would be. <laughs> It'd be really cool because we want to find ways to to reach new audiences, but also provide them with things that they're into and that we can learn from them, and really you know have a have a two-way conversation with people, um, and and you know 
work at something together and, and see what comes of it. So we we did this um, in collaboration with Gamer Camp Toronto and uh, the group at, at the University of Toronto. And it went really well. We had about 19 teams who came to the museum over 48 hours, and, and they built uh, 19 games. They were really prototypes. They were really demos. They weren't really anything that were that we could you know put on the website that were really flushed out. We didn't offer any uh, any compensation at all. It was just sort of you know people that were interested in the museum that were game developers that wanted to come and use our collections. And and we had a couple of curatorial staff that were there, you know, checking if you know. The wrist the wristbands on a Roman archer were you know the right kind or were were rendered in the in the right way that sort of thing so they had access to that curatorial expertise to make sure that their game demos were were as authentic as possible and so because it was such a success we're going to do it again um, this summer but the focus is on uh, our natural history side are, and the focus is evolution so I'm really really interested to see what come, what games come out of that and I'm hoping to see some you know some dinosaur stuff and and uh, maybe some you know some early human uh, you know games or something like that. But um, it should it should be a lot of fun. Um, the teams are are really excited to be in the museum and have sort of all access to to our collections and our expertise, and it's great for the community as well. Ryan, I know you've also done a program fairly recently with the ROM Recollects program where you've uh, asked people who have been to the museum over the previous many decades uh, to create content in social media talking about their memories of, of being at the museum. Can you talk a little bit about the, the ROM Recollects uh, initiative? Yeah, of course. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, we're in our centennial year with the ROM was founded in 1914. and. And leading up to our centennial, we were we were trying to figure out what we would do with our centennial. You know, it's a it's a year long. It's a lot of time to keep the momentum going, keep the conversations going. You know, and and there was you know there were people that wanted to do a, a very traditional you know history of the museum book, and a lot of us sitting around the table were like, well, you know, who's going to read that? Um, you know, would people find that interesting enough to pick up and read? And and it's not very engaging. So we thought that we would ask people to write our history for us. And, you know, the ROM is, you know, a lot of people have go to the museum on, uh, you know, on a, on a school field trip when they're eight years old. That's sort of the first, everyone's in Toronto and in the surrounding communities, that's sort of their first memory of the museum. So we, we know that there's lots of people in, in, in the GTA, in the greater Toronto area that, you know, that have been to the ROM, that, that you know, there's lots of people that, got engaged at the museum. There's lots of people that were married at the museum. There's lots of people that had their first date at the museum. There's lots of people that, you know, brought their kids for the first time to a museum at the ROM. So we really wanted to the people to tell us those stories and collect those stories so that um, we would have a record of, of how our visitors feel about the museum and how, you know, how it, how it, what it means to them in, in their lives and, and share it in a way that was engaging and really visual. We give, um, you know, the web team did a fantastic job on it and gave people multiple ways that they could um, send in their content. They can do uh, video or images or text-based, um, and it's a really easy web form that they do all online. You know, they don't have to write out a, and print out a piece of paper and, and mail it to us. They can do it all on the website, which is really great. And um, it's, It basically renders in a timeline format, but you can also search by category. 
Um, so if people, you know, remember their first visit to a big Egyptian show back in the 70s or 60s or something, you know, you can search by by collection and, and by, by event type, which is really neat. Um, and then it's also um, content that I can repurpose for social. So I share a lot of the content and, and um, you know, it's, it's, there's something to be said about content that's user-generated and not generated by the museum that's shared. Um, it's, it's more personal and it, and it shows that we care what people say about the museum. We care what, you know, what people think about us and, and we want to share that with everyone. One of the other things uh, that I've I've always been interested um, is is how you balance talking about the museum as a museum in social media with talking about individual exhibits that are either permanent or temporary. Do you actually have an editorial calendar that you try to adhere to, or do you just do that by by feel? Um, we, uh, my boss and I have been trying to get a, an editorial calendar nailed it, nailed down, uh, and we just, um, with all of the sort of, you know, the 24-hour publishing of, of content, we haven't been able to, to nail down a strict calendar. Um, we're, you know, we, ha we do lots of meetings and, and have lots of chats with our marketing and, and communications team, so we know when their stuff is going to go out to the public. So we try to keep in line with that to make sure everything's integrated. Um, but as I said earlier, there's a lot of wiggle room with social, so we can always um, jump on news stories if we need to. Um, but generally, um, you know, I, as soon as tickets go live for a special exhibition on the website, that's when I usually start my social campaign. Yep. Um, you know, or, or whenever there's a web presence, I always want to make sure that people have access to more information if they want. Um, we never do the buy now, tickets available, that sort of thing on social. It's always, this thing is really cool, here's where you can find out more about it. And then once they go, once they go there, then they'll find, you know, if they're really interested, then they'll, they'll do that conversion. But we never overtly sell to people on social, it's more about the, we do content. Content is, you know, and, and we're lucky as a museum, we have lots of content. Content is not a problem for me. It's the you know making sure that every part of the museum gets its gets its time in in the sun. So it's it's difficult, but um, we're we're looking at ways to sort of make that um, you know more integrated um, with with some sort of web-based tool. But we're we're still talking. That. It's funny to talk about this concept of purposefully not selling in social, to, to not try to uh, move tickets using social outreach. Is that because you tried it at one point and it didn't work, or you just feel like it's not culturally appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish in social media? Yeah, I mean, our you know our objectives. If if you Google Rom social media, it comes to our, our social media page on on the website, and our objectives are right there in, in bullet in bullet point. And it's really about making connections with our community. You know, as I said, you know, we're we're looking at social as a long term uh, aspect of our communications mix at the museum, and and you know the people that are are social savvy now. Will be the people that'll have families in a few years, and and you know we're really interested in building the connections with those people right now, but also doing it long term, so that you know I can't say that the 300 tweets I sent out last month brought in 300 people, but 
this many people are aware of what we're doing on social and we're building those connections with those people and they'll come eventually and that's that's what I try to tell people it's about it's about building that relationship and having that that long-term relationship with people and and that's how you know that's how we try to ensure that that people will will come eventually yeah, I love it. It's nice. Does it's that nice. Make sense? It yeah. does. It does. Um, it's nice, and it's nice to be able to. It's nice to be able to to say, look, we we trust that people will reward us eventually, because yeah. a lot of organizations don't have that opportunity, right? To to mm-hmm. embrace eventually as a time horizon, right? It's we need them to do something this week or this month or this quarter um, or or this exactly. year, and, and uh, it's it's great. We, we do do, you know, like sort of, you know, we have a special exhibit on right now that, that closes at the fir- on the 1st of September. So right now we're, we're in a big push to get people to come to that exhibit. But again, we're not saying, you know, buy tickets now. We do say that it closes September 1st, but we do it through content. Um, I recently went around and I grabbed a couple staff, um, an interpretive planner, our head of design, and a content expert, a curator, and I did uh, 17 short one to one and a half minute videos on my phone um, with them down the exhibit talking about a different aspect of the exhibit. We uploaded it right to YouTube using YouTube Capture and we created a playlist. And now I have 17 short one minute videos that I can use to share in the last, what are we at, the end of July here now. So in the last uh, five weeks of the show so, so that it just builds that awareness that you know you want to come and see this stuff now because it's not going to be here forever, and and that's how we we push that you know short term goal of getting people in the door. We just heavily push out content for that one thing. We try to we try to you know make sure that's not overbearing, but you know we mix it in with everything else that we need to talk about. But it, you, if you look at all of our our you know our tweets and our and our posts on Facebook and, and Google Plus, you'll see that there's a heavy emphasis on this Forbidden City exhibition that we're that's closing soon. So. Get, get them in while they still can, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'd really appreciate the work that you're doing, Ryan. It's fantastic. We're delighted to have um, somebody who's got so much expertise in the museum side of things uh, on the show. And I'm going to ask you the two big questions uh, that we ask mm. all of our guests. Are Are you ready? I am ready. Yes. Okay. The first question for Ryan Dodge, head of social for the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. Get up there and see the museum if you're up in Toronto. First question, what advice would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? Uh, This is a really tough question. Um, One piece of advice is is definitely not enough. But I would say um, work on your negotiation skills. Um, especially in the museum sector, um, you know, social is, there's not a lot of places where social is, is seen as an important aspect of the, of the strategy. And you're going to really need to, to negotiate your way through all the different levels of management, but also with finding, you know, budget, if you need budget for the stuff that you're doing, you know, and, and really convincing people that, that this, that social is something that needs to happen for your institution. So, I would say work on those those uh, skills of negotiation. I don't know that anybody has ever had that answer on the show, and I think it's really, really fantastic. <laughs> I think no, it's great. It's really, it's very wise. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I just don't think uh, we've ever had it. So well, well done. What is what is usually, what do people usually say? Oh, we've had all we've had all kinds of different answers. Everything, yeah, all, yeah everything. But I just don't think <laughs> I just don't think negotiation uh, has been has been one of them. So I'm I'm delighted about that. 
Uh, and the last question, uh, the last question for Ryan is, uh, if you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? A uh, living person. This is tough because I'm a, I'm a historian, um, so I would love to talk to lots of dead people. But um, living, I would love to talk to, uh, I think, Elon Musk, um, who uh, is head of Tesla right now. And I'd love to talk to him because of his, just the, his entrepreneurial spirit and also the work he's been doing with with open knowledge. He recently, you know, released all the uh, Tesla's patents. And you know, open knowledge and, and open authority is something that museums are. There's a few museums that are doing it really well, but a lot, the majority of us are not doing it well. And um, I'd love to, you know, talk to him and, and get some insight on on how he's how he's done that in the last few years. So. That would be awesome. Uh, and he is also partially funding the new uh, Tesla Museum, right? Isn't that the, the way that's, that's happening? That's right, yeah. According to the Oatmeal, I read a comic about that or something. That's right, yeah. He's, uh, you know, he's a big, the head of the Oatmeal is a big fan, so he, you know, called him out on social and, and he responded. So that's, it's great to see. And someday when I have a Tesla, we will record the podcast. <laughs> we'll record this podcast from the front seat of the vehicle and uh, and we'll get him on the show. Something That'd like that. That would be amazing. That would be. That would be great. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much for being on Social Pros. You were terrific as anticipated. Congratulations uh, on all the success with the Royal Ontario Museum. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, Jay. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Cheers. All right, Nick and Jeff, we're going to uh, get right into Holy Social and Stat of the Week. Uh, as you guys prepare that, we'll start with uh, Holy Social first. But as uh, you get ready to uh, add that flavor to the show, I want to remind everybody that this podcast is brought to you by Exact Target, a world leader in interactive marketing software. You know, Jeff talked about uh, email uh, on the show today with Ryan, and email is something that we all are either directly or indirectly involved in. Exact Target has a terrific new email swipe file showcase that will give you 20 winning email designs that you can use to improve your email communications, all kinds of new trends and design tips. So even if you don't do email in your organization, you should download this, give it to the people in your organization who are in charge of email. They will thank you. You can get it, the 20 winning email designs download for free from Exact Target at bit.ly slash winning email. That's bit.ly slash winning email email, all lowercase and no dashes in there, bit.ly slash winning email. Show is also brought to you by Formstack. They're a new sponsor of the Social Pros podcast. Delighted to have them on board. Formstack is a software as a service that helps uh, interactive marketers, or really any kind of marketers, uh, build and test and optimize forms. So contact forms, purchase forms, any kind of forms on your website, Formstack can help you do that quickly, easily, and effectively. They are having a uh, free webinar with our friend Ann Handley uh, from Marketing Profs, who has been on the show in the past. And uh, the, uh, the webinar is called From Content to Conversion. It'll be with Chris Lucas from Formstack and Ann Handley. That's on August 12th. You can reserve your spot for that webinar now at bit.ly slash content conversion. That's bit.ly slash content conversion, all lowercase. Okay, Nick, what do we have for Holy social. So being fresh off of the Social Press Conference last week, I figured that we should you know, give a little bit of love and celebrate a really cool partnership from Yahoo that's happening right now. So Beverly Jackson, who had uh, we had the opportunity of listening to her speak at Social Press East, she has uh, announced basically the release of Yahoo Live, 
It's a partnership between Yahoo and Live Nation where they're actually broadcasting 365 days of live streaming concerts from everybody from Dave Matthews Band and Kiss to I see coming up as like Toad the Wet Sprocket and some other different types of, of bands and groups out there. I think Common performed last week in uh, performed here in New York City. Uh, so it's a really interesting uh, partnership that they're having right there. Um, what I find interesting about this is not only the, not only are they you know building this this platform and experience that's on the Yahoo screen um, on the Yahoo screen site, they're also integrating a lot of, of user generated content inside of that and pulling from a lot of different Yahoo sources and really actually bringing them together in a unified platform. So they're pulling in GIFs and, and different posts from Tumblr that are related to each one of the artists on each one of these artists' landing page for each of the tour dates. They're pulling in RSS feeds and different pieces of news that are coming in from Yahoo News, Yahoo Blogs, and from the music channels. Um, and this is happening for all their different artists. So I know that a, a few months back or so, um, Yahoo had announced that they were working to build a number of new sites on top of the Tumblr platform in order to kind of create these unique experiences that do pull in from a number of the different products that Yahoo is building. And so I thought that it was not only interesting from a content standpoint that they're doing this partnership and creating all these events, but then also from a platform standpoint that they're actually owning and bringing in that social and UGC content instead of just you know basically shoving pre-produced content down your throat. They're creating together and they're inspiring and engaging with the community to actually publish that content from them. Yeah, I mean, it's such an incredible program. I mean, we talk a lot about great social media executions here on the podcast, and we just talked to Ryan about a couple of cool things that they're doing at Royal Ontario Museum with the developer program and the uh, ROM recollections. But can you imagine doing a daily live concert and having to execute that across a ton of different social media channels. I mean, just the, uh, you know, just the blocking and tackling required to do that is, is hard to fathom. We're going to try and get uh, Beverly on the podcast at some point to talk through how this actually works in practice, but it is, it is just a monumental effort. Uh, and, you know, she was saying, uh, I think you heard her say this, Nick, at, uh, at the Social Fresh concert, uh, conference that you know, people were complaining on Facebook, whatever, that there was a lag, you know, in the live stream. Uh, and she's like, look, you know, we're giving you a free Dave Matthews band concert and another free concert tomorrow and another three free concert the day after that, you know, and you're and you're upset that there's a tiny lag in the video. It's like, you know, um, cut, cut us some slack, please. And it's sort of, uh, I think, typical of, uh, of today's consumer where, you know, everything has to be perfect um, or they're instantly outraged. Uh, I, I'm sure that's a bit of a challenge for her on the customer service side because they're only, there's only so much they can do, right? I mean, the, the bandwidth is the bandwidth and the band is the band. And uh, it's it, it's probably a difficult situation in some cases um, for Yahoo to be in the middle of that. But, you know, talk about tackling something that is just way beyond the scope and scale of, of most people's imagination. It's uh, It's remarkable. Yeah, Jeff, uh, have you been able to check out any of the, the recent Yahoo updates or anything like that that they've been working on? Uh, I haven't. I've been on vacation. <laughs> so that gives me... You've been tackling no updates. But I will I say this. I don't blame you. Exactly. I will say this, though. Um, this, is a, this is proof positive that everything new is... or everything old is new again. Um, I, I seem to recall that when Terry Semmel was CEO of Yahoo, he had a big push into content. And uh, it strikes me that we're kind of uh, returning to those days. Um, you know, Yahoo just announced that it's um, uh, it's picking up the sixth season of Community, 
uh, as its foray into original programming. So now you've got Amazon, you've got Netflix, you've got Yahoo, you've got all these different folks producing original content. Um, and I think I think it's great. There's a lot of high energy there, um, but you know it's we're competing for a limited set of eyeballs and earballs, as they say. And I'm intrigued to see um, how this plays out over the next you know year, year and a half, because the last time this happened, there was kind of a content crash. Certain players you know uh, rose up, and certain players had to uh, move back from that strategy. So. Um, we'll see. I'm a big fan of music. I love, you know, all the free streaming that you can get. Um, but at some point, um, the returns have to be there. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, I, I can't wait. I, you know, one of the things I, and I don't know the answer to this, Nick, maybe you do. Um, are, are they are they using any crowd input to determine what concerts they have or, or they already have that figured out with uh, Live Nation? Because to me, that's the next yeah, level, right? That's the next level is who you know. Who do you want to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, think about we, we talked. I think one of the first episodes that I was on, going back, uh, Wolfpack, who is trying to actually use that model, and they were looking at streams from different areas, like who would stream the most. They'd go to those tours, right? Uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't know if they're they're picking that. I'm sure that there's probably some. Um, so some interesting partnerships probably with Live Nation to actually go and execute because these are real concerts. I mean, you can buy tickets to these actual shows. So right. Live Nation is making money as well as Yahoo is streaming them to anybody. So Yeah, it's not just like Dave Matthews band in somebody's basement. Right, totally. Although that would be sweet. All right, Nick, as you uh, uh, wrap it up, we'll turn to Jeff for the social media stat of the week. And as Jeff finds his number, uh, I am going to remind you that this podcast, Social Pros, is brought to you by Xbeon, who has a brand new version. Congratulations to Nick and the team at Xbeon for the launch of the new Xbeon. Fantastic new user interface, all kinds of new uh, analytics, very, very wise approach to analytics. If you haven't taken a look at Xbeon recently, if you have a complex social media circumstance, you're in higher ed or entertainment or retail, financial services, franchise organization. If you get a lot of stuff going on in your social media world, XBeyond would be a great potential partner for you. Plus, you get to work with Nick, which doesn't suck. Uh, the new version is spectacular. Uh, go to XBeyond.com, E-X-P-I-O-N.com, uh, and do a demo. You will really, really be impressed with what they have rolled out in the last uh, just a few days or so. So congratulations to them. And Social Pros is brought to you by Cision, the leading provider of software services and tools to the public relations industry. Journalists and bloggers and online influencers, they all use Cision to research story ideas, track trends, and help maintain their public profiles and amplify their content. Cision has a free downloadable uh, advice guide that is very useful. You should grab it if you haven't. It's called Six Tips to help amplify your content, tells you all about uh, how to use Cision and other tools to get more attention to the content that you're spending so much time creating. You can get that right now for free at bit.ly slash amplify Cision. That's bit.ly slash amplify Cision, and that's all lowercase. And Cision is spelled C-I-S-I-O-N. Okay, Jeff, it is time for the social media number of the week. All right, so I'm going to give you bang for the buck. I'm going to give you three numbers, 86%, 56%, and 75 or actually 72%. Um, those all have to do with different email statistics. Uh, it comes from an aggregate report from uh, eMarketer with the title email, the old kid on the blocks still got it. 
So the 86% finds um, that digital marketers, 86% of digital marketers are using email marketing regularly. That comes from a GigaOM study. And the 56% comes from a GigaOM study with Extol. Um, and that essentially places uh, email at the top uh, according to marketers as to what they're using and what is effective for customer retention. So 56% of digital marketers are saying that email is their most effective customer retention uh, method. Second is social network marketing at 37%. And third is content marketing at 32%. And that last one, 72%, that's the number of people, uh, according to my.com, that check email on a mobile device. And um, I think it's good every once in a while to come back and revisit these stats and understand kind of the foundation that email provides still uh, for all of our digital marketing activities. And in fact, all of social media, it still rem remains kind of the number one uh, retention tool used by Facebook, used by Twitter. Um, you know, if, you've, uh, if you have an inbox, if you have a social media account, you know this to be true because they're usually pinging you to get you re-engaged, whether it's LinkedIn telling you about a um, somebody who wants to connect with you or somebody has new content or Facebook telling you that somebody's tagged you. Um, that really is, email is the connective tissue and it remains so. Um, so I thought it was interesting that, you know, the, the retention stack here, um, email comes out on top by a wide margin and continues to stay there, largely on the back of that last stat, and that is that our behaviors, our email consumption, hasn't died in the mobile age, it's just moved over to the mobile device. Well, and as you've said many times, Jeff, I mean, every social network requires you to have an email address in order to sign up for it. Um, it, yeah. it you know, it, 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 you know, this this death of email um, is, I think, um, crazy. Now, the the one difference is that you do look at at youth use of email, uh, and in many cases, they use that email just to sign up for the social network, and then they check it less frequently. I mean, certainly, my kids, uh, I email them stuff all the time. Hey, I saw this blog post, or I saw this, you know, guide to picking colleges, or I saw this funny video, and I email it like I would email you or Nick, and they never see it because they never check their email ever, right? But if I SMS it to them or I DM it to them or something like that, they'll see it. So I think that that's an issue looking into the future, that people have an email address, but they just don't check it as often uh, when you start talking about young people and how they use technology. But but I agree with the findings of this study anecdotally that that for people who are uh, not in that in that young cohort, uh, email is is not going away. I mean, nobody I know says, you know, I don't I don't get enough email. And until people oh, and until people start saying that, uh, I, I think uh, you know it's still a very very important uh, tactic. Right. And as as I wrote about, um, and I actually referenced you, Jeff, in this post, as I wrote about in my um, shotguns, Trump rifle, sort of rethinking your entire social media strategy post recently, uh, where I talk about Jeff and his terrific book, Audience. You know, it, as as social gets more and more difficult and it and it is um, because everybody is doing it and the algorithms get tougher and organic reach gets more and more impossible you have to think about social as a way to get people into your own environments right so use social to get somebody to sign up for email or if you know or use social to get somebody to 
a brand community that you control, a forum, um, something like that, as opposed right. to a, pu- a public network like uh, like Facebook. So uh, I-, I think we're going to enter an era, somewhat ironically perhaps, where email and social are linked together even more so than they have in the previous few years. Yeah, I totally I, agree. Yeah, I, I agree. And I want to go back to one thing you said, and that is you know, about teen behavior, because I've been banging on this drum since we started our subscribers, fans, and followers research series about four and a half years ago. Um, teens just aren't normal. They aren't normal human beings. Um, if you are the parent of a teen, you know this. You see it every day. Um, and, and by that, I, I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but what I mean is they don't have responsibilities. I mean, give them a mortgage, give them a, a job, give them other responsibilities. And the, the place where folks communicate um, in a formal fashion where they um, – uh, expect you to see it uh, right now and for the you know the, the the last 20 years has been email and so once those teens move into new responsibilities they have to embrace the channel in different ways as opposed to just kind of a place to park their signups and I saw this firsthand we had a um, an exchange student from Italy who was 17 years old um, and was all over whatsapp so this was you know even before the Facebook acquisition we knew something was up there because um, that's what she was using. And, you know, that's short burst communications, text, video, audio, all that. However, um, if she wanted a photo from me or if she wanted me to send her something, she wanted me to send it to her email because that's where she could park it. And also it's where the the, the exchange program, um, AFS, communicated with her regularly. So she had this this requirement to be in that medium to make sure she was staying up on top of uh, her foreign exchange uh, program emails and events. Um, so I think you know we have the massive fragmentation of communication. Um, and as you get into uh, you know kind of your uh, out of high school age, it begins to change the consumption. And I couldn't agree I couldn't agree more that that there has to be that hand and glove and your responsibility is to not only think about momentary amplification, which is great. It's wonderful if you you know blow it out of the water and all of a sudden you're very hot and known in that moment. But that moment dissipates. What do you have after that? And what is the lasting audience or the lasting value that you acquire? Email, text, um, your own mobile app. Those are places where you can build those proprietary audiences for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to say for kids to say, I don't use email because nobody that I interact with uses email. But but I had this conversation uh, literally uh, a week ago with my daughter about the telephone. Uh, and I said, geez, you and your brother are really bad at talking on the phone. Um, you know, grandmother calls. I was like, yes, no, whatever. They just There's no conversational skills there at all. And I said, you know what? Someday you're going to have to be able to talk on the phone because that will be expected of you in whatever job that you have. And and so you have to get, I mean, like, as I said the other day, I, mean, I need to get you a call center job. Uh, But what she said was really fascinating. She said, well, yeah, but when everybody my age is in business, nobody will use the phone. And I thought, well, I don't think that's true, but maybe it is true. Well, I guess we'll we'll see. I guess we'll see. Um, Everybody will just be using their telepathy or something. And Jay, I do have to tell you about a funny coincidence. Literally, as you were talking, I got uh, a, a notification on Twitter from somebody who looks forward to reading my book because they've ordered it after reading your latest post. There you go. My so, Amazon commission is uh, my Amazon commission is on the way apparently. So fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to take that dollar and I'm going to use it wisely, ladies and gentlemen. 
gentlemen, thanks as always for a great show. It's nice to have the whole the whole band together uh, again. We've got a bunch of great guests coming up uh, throughout the rest of the summer that I hope everybody will tune in for. Thanks as always for listening to the podcast. Make sure you tell your friends, leave us a review on uh, iTunes. We'd really appreciate that. I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He is Jeff Roars from Exact Target, a Salesforce.com company, and Nick Cicero from XBeyond. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Social Pros, the show for real people doing real work in social media. Please tell your friends about the show. Subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher and view all episodes at socialpros.com. Until next week, thanks to Cision, Janray, XPN, and ExactTarget, a Salesforce.com company. <laughs>